0: In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of Judges by looking at Judges chapter 18. If you have a Bible with you, turn to Judges 18 and follow along while I read, beginning in verse 1. In those days there was no king in Israel, and in those days the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. For until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. So the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah and from Eshtaol, to spy out the land and to explore it. And they said to them, Go and explore the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. When they were by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. And they turned aside and said to him, Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What is your business here? And he said to them, This is how Micah has dealt with me. He has hired me, and I have become his priest. And they said to him, Inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed. And the priest said to them, Go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. Then the five men departed and came to Laesh and saw the people who were there. They lived in security after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting, lacking nothing that is in the earth, possessing wealth, and how they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. And when they came to their brothers at Zorah and Eshtoel, their brothers said to them, What do you report? They said, Arise, let us go up against them, for we have seen the land, and behold, it is very good. And will you do nothing? Do, do not be slow to go, to enter in and possess the land. As soon as you go, you will come to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious, for God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is in the earth. So 600 men of the tribe of Dan, armed with weapons of war, set out from Zorah and Eshtaol and went up and encamped at kariath Jeraram in Judah. On this account, that place is called Mahanadan to this day. Behold, it is west of Kariath-Jerarim. And they passed on from there to the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. Then the five men who had gone to scout the country of Laish said to their brothers, Do you know that in these houses there are an ephod, household gods, a carved image, and a metal image? Now, therefore, consider what you will do. And they turned aside there and came to the house of the young Levite at the home of Micah and asked him about his welfare. Now the 600 men of the Danites, armed with their weapons of war, stood by the entrance of the gate, and the five men who had gone to scout out the land went up and entered and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image, while the priest stood by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war. And when these went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image, the priest said to them, What are you doing? And they said to him, Keep quiet. Put your hand on your mouth and come with us to be a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be priest to the house of one man or to be priest to a tribe and a clan in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod, the household gods, and the carved image and went along with the people. So they turned and departed, putting the little ones and the livestock and the goods in front of them when they had gone a distance from the home of Micah, the men who were in in the house near Micah's house were called out and they overtook the people of Dan. And they shouted to the people of Dan who turned around and said to Micah, what is the matter with you that you come with such a company? And he said, you take my gods that I made and the priest and go away. What have I left? How then do you ask me what is the matter with you? And the people of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows fall upon you, and you lose your life with the lives of your household. Then the people of Dan went their way, and Micah saw that they were too strong for him. He turned and went back to his home. But the people of Dan took what Micah had made and the priest who belonged to him. And they came to Laish, to a people quiet and unsuspecting, and struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon, and they had no dealings with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rehob. They rebuilt the city and lived in it. And they named the city Dan after the name of Dan, their ancestor, who was born to Israel. But the name of the city was Laish at first. The people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves, and Jonathan the son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests of the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. The story in this chapter is the fascinating continuation of the story that began in Judges chapter 17. We covered it in our last episode, and we met a young Levite who had set up shop in the house of Micah. In this chapter, the tribe of Dan, as they're looking for a place to settle, runs across this Levite and kidnaps him and takes him away with all of the idols and household gods and are going to resettle up north. Micah, like most of us, doesn't like the idea that he's been robbed, and so he goes after the thieves, and when he catches up to them, he's told to go back home and be quiet so that he's not killed. He sees that he can't stand against them, so he goes back home, and the tribe of Dan goes and settles in the north of Canaan and sets up their idols and have priests and Levites who serve the tribe until the time of captivity. To me, the details of this story are fascinating, and we're told in the story how they come about. It's because Israel does not have a king. In the previous chapter, we were told that the people of Israel were doing what was right in their own eyes because they didn't have a king. And in this story, we see Dan doing exactly what they want to do. And the consequences of that are tragic for the tribe of Dan and ultimately for the northern tribes of Israel. Just in this chapter, we see that Israel not having a king causes Dan to not claim their inheritance. In Joshua chapter 19, verses 40 through 48, we see a description of the land allotted to the tribe of Dan as their inheritance that had been given to them by God through Moses. In the first couple of chapters of the book of Judges, we see that the tribe of Judah first went into this territory and was pushed back because they had iron chariots. and that Later, the tribe of Dan comes into these cities and, and tries to settle, and they were pushed back into the hill country by the enemy. As we read those chapters, we saw that it was their lack of faith in God and his power that caused this to happen. So now they're not able to claim the inheritance they're given. They're trying to find the next best alternative, something that they can accomplish in their own power. And they find this space called Laish up in the northern end of the land of Canaan. And they go there because it's unprotected and seems to be an easy target. And they take it over. But they missed out on their inheritance. The land they had been promised was seaside land on, on the Mediterranean Sea. Prime real estate. But they didn't claim that. They went to a place where they would be disconnected from other nations and other people, even their own nation, and settled there because it was the easy way out. That brings us to our second point. Dan does take the easy way out, but it's the fear of their own weakness that causes them to do that. They look at what they can see with their own eyes, and they think about their own abilities and what can I accomplish on my own. And they look for the things that they can accomplish by themselves because they did that. They didn't learn to rely on God in this circumstance. They didn't let God fight the battle for them. So they didn't get to have an experience with the power of God and see that it was with them and see that it would accomplish everything that God promised that it would. Not only did they miss out on opportunity to grow their faith and have experiences with the power of God, they also ended up very far away from where God wanted them to be, both physically and metaphorically. Physically, they ended up hundreds of miles away from the place that God had given them. This symbolizes the distance they put between themselves and God as they settle in a place that they were able to achieve victory without God, in a place where they could worship God the way they saw fit rather than following the commands of God Himself. And because of that, they end up with a lot less than they were promised. If you look at the boundary of the land that they were given by Joshua in Joshua 19, it was a much larger parcel of land than they ended up with at the north of Canaan in the city of Dan. They went from having a a nation and a tribe that was their own to being a a city-state up at the top of Canaan. They didn't get everything that God promised. Now, the fact that they got Any of God's promise shows his grace, and God could have destroyed them on their way to Laish. He could have prevented them from being able to have a victory even under their own might. He could have caused their crops to fail so that they couldn't have eaten. He could have punished them in a myriad of ways, but chose to be gracious to them. And as we know from the rest of the story, God always showed grace to Israel, hoping that they would come to their senses of knowing where all their good blessings came from and follow God wholeheartedly. What we do see is God not giving the abundance that he had promised. He had not given them everything that they were entitled to claim because they had rejected him. Again, we're told these things happen because Israel didn't have a king. And we're tempted to start thinking about Saul and David and Solomon. But before Israel gets to that point, when they first start asking about a king, Samuel goes to God and God reveals something about Israel's condition and why they are failing to have success without a king. If you go to 1 Samuel chapter 8, Starting in verse 1, it says, When Samuel became old, he made his sons judge over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. The writer of the book of Judges rightly says that Israel was doing what was right in their own eyes because they had no king. It's not because a king wasn't available. It wasn't because a king wasn't willing. It was because the people of Israel refused to submit to God as their king. They didn't need an earthly king. They needed to acknowledge the king they already had. When Judges says Israel had no king, it doesn't mean that God was missing. It means that the people of Israel refused to submit to his will. God's desire had always been to be the king of his people, that they would be in subjection to him, that they would trust him with their very lives to do everything he asked them to do, not because he was trying to see if they could do it, but because he knew it was the best thing for them. It would protect them and turn them into the people he had always intended them to be. And in turn, they would be this light to the world that would draw the nations to God. When Israel refused to accept this vocation and, and, and to be the people that God wanted, to acknowledge him as king, God takes matters in his own hands and sends to Israel the king that he wanted them to have, the king that would draw all nations to him, the king that all of the world could follow. Of course, that's Jesus. And in John chapter 18, starting in verse 36, as Jesus is standing trial, Jesus says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king for this purpose. I was born and for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. God has established an anointed one, a king over his people. And Jesus says his subjects are the ones who listen to his voice. If Judges chapter 18 is about the life of God's people without a king, Ephesians chapter 3 is about the life of God's people with the king. In this chapter, he describes what we as his subjects can expect from our king. In verse 6, he says we can expect an inheritance. He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Just so you know, the word Christ is a Greek word that means anointed one. It is synonymous with the title king. So when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of our king. There's something that needed to be revealed about this king that I'm going to reveal to you now. And he says, this was not made known to the sons of men and other generations. It has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What aspect of God's king needed to be revealed at this time? God's king was making a promise for God's children. And it didn't include just Jewish people, but all people who listened to his voice. They would receive an inheritance. This is in stark contrast to the story in the book of Judges, where the tribe of Dan missed out on their inheritance because they did not submit to God as king. Ephesians 3 also lets us know that with Christ as our king, we have access to great power. Starting in verse 14 of chapter 3, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The tribe of Dan could not claim their inheritance because they didn't think they had the power to do so. They didn't trust the power that God had provided. The Apostle Paul tells the Ephesians that with Christ as their king, they do have the strength and they do have the power to overcome. They can know the love of Christ. They can experience that and in doing so be filled with all the fullness of God. There's great power in that when we decide to make Christ our king. Also, as Paul continues in chapter 3, he lets the Ephesian Christians know that if they make Jesus king, they will experience an abundance of blessings. Picking up again Paul's thoughts in verse 20, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul says we've not even begun to imagine all the blessings that we can experience from God when we trust in his power provided through the spirit and follow his king, Jesus, throughout our generations. Dan missed out on the abundant blessing that God gave them to take a smaller portion of blessing that was easier for them to experience. I'm afraid too many of us in our day are are doing the same thing. We're taking what's easy and we're happy that we got that, but we're frustrated that we don't have more. Why is God not working in bigger ways in my life? And it may be because we haven't truly submitted to Christ as king in every aspect of our life. Maybe there are things we're holding back. Maybe there are times we're taking the easy way out. So we have to decide which way that we're going to go. Are we going to go Dan's way, where the people were doing things based on what they could see and, and finding someone who would give approval to what they had already decided? Or will we do things God's way, where we walk by faith, having the Holy Spirit to guide us, And Jesus himself becomes our stamp of approval. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter.